On behalf of Pastor James, our lead pastor, I would like to welcome you all to the Planting Community Church. Uh, we are happy that you're worshiping with us, and we hope you come back next Sunday for another sermon. And before we get into prayer, I would like to uh, remember our brothers and sisters from the First Nations as they grapple with uh, yet another discovery of the 750 graves. Let's keep them in our prayers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering around the table to listen to our words. We pray that you send your spirit to guide us as we embark on a spiritual transformation. Open our hearts and minds, uh, Lord, as we prepare ourselves for the journey of walking in your word. We thank you and we ask all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. My name is Amato Frederick. I'm the lead uh, of the men's ministry. And the topic for us today is uh, renewing uh, our thinking, renewing, uh, renewing our mind. Thank you. To set context for our discussion, we are going to read Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind so that you may prove that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For our discussion, we are going to divide the sermon into six main components. The first part will be defining some terms we've encountered in uh, Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. The second part, we'll be looking at uh, the theological term we use for renewing the mind. So we'll introduce our Christian uh, spiritual formation or transformation. The third part will be the differences between the world or the self and the kingdom of God uh, or love. Uh, those two components are the main components that make up or that are in involved in our journey uh, in spiritual transformation. Finally, the two components, the world, the self, the kingdom of God, and the love of God, will lead us to uh, digging deeper into the character of God. Because before we understand what the kingdom of God is, we have to understand what the character of God is. Because the, the kingdom of God is predicated on God's will. And we can't talk about will without talking about character. The second last part will be looking at spiritual formation itself, what it is and what it's not. And then the last part will be looking at how we can achieve our spiritual uh, transformation or formation. So the first time we are going to look at uh, that's found in, in verse 1 of Romans 12 is the term to conform. In this context, conforming means showing a different image from what you are on the inside. It's basically a masquerade. The next term we are going to look at is the term the world. The world refers to our values, our beliefs, our tenets, or the spirit of the age, the trending thing today. 
But when you strip away everything, the world resolves to the self because the rules we set are the rules that guide our communities based on what we want. So the default is always the self. The, the other term we are going to look at is transformed or to be transformed. That term is very interesting because it's the same word that Matthew uses in Matthew 17 verse two to describe what happened to Christ during the transfiguration. It's the only part in the Bible where we see Christ's divinity uh, showing on the outside. So in this case, Paul used it to show that as Christians, we have to show what's on the inside, on the outside, by the way we interact with the world, how we deal with our neighbors. The last term we're going to look at is the renewing of the mind. And in this term, we are going to focus on the Holy Spirit because part of Christ's promise was that he would teach, send us a teacher uh, who will guide us through the scriptures. But also, the Spirit, the Bible tells us that it's that part of God that probes the deeper thoughts of God. So if you want to learn something about someone, which is the end goal of spiritual transformation, you learn it from someone who understands whoever you're studying best. And the Holy Spirit understands God's deep thoughts. So it makes sense that we rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us through the scripture. And of course, finally, we can't divorce scripture from spiritual transformation because it's through the scripture that we learn the character of God, which is the end goal and which is the purpose of spiritual transformation. So now we look at how we would theologically define the renewing of the mind. In, the theolo in theological terms, renewing of the mind is called Christian spiritual transformation. I appended the term Christian because we all get a spiritual transformation. The difference is which one. In Christian context, we'll be focusing on the Christian spiritual transformation because it's what leads us to learning and understanding the character of God, which in turn allows us to make a decision whether or not we can trust him. Notice, on your journey before and after, you still have the component of choice because that's one of the traits that humans share with God. Humans have free will. God has free will. The only difference is that our, God's free will is not predicated on anything, but our free will is predicated on so many things. For example, the weather. Take an example. If you're to visit a friend, say one afternoon, if you don't have a vehicle, if it starts raining, then you have to wait for the rain to stop, or if you're in Toronto, you take the transit. So your visit is predicated on the rain stopping or the availability of transportation. That's not the case with God. So let's look at the kingdom of God now that we've introduced uh, God's character. The kingdom of God is the range of his effective domain, uh, will, sorry. 
So we talk of God's will because the whole idea behind understanding the kingdom of God is understanding God so well that you can decide whether or not to base your decision making on, the, on God or on the self. We'll discuss the self next. The kingdom of God is grounded in love because it wills the good. But before we go deeper in the kingdom of God, let's first look at what the kingdom of, ma of, uh, of the world or the world entails. Um, for that, we look at uh, Romans 8, verse 5 to 6. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit set uh, their minds on things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The reason as to why Paul introduces the concept of peace in this verse is that the kingdom of God is a living, breathing thing. We see that in the examples that uh, Jesus himself gives when he tries to define or describe the kingdom of God. And we see that in Matthew 13, uh, verse 31 to 35, when he talks about the mustard seed. A mustard seed is a small seed that's planted into the ground that later grows into a big tree that's bigger than anything in the garden, but also provides shelter for the birds of the air. He also equates the kingdom of God to leaven. You take a little bit of leaven, add it to the dough, and it expands and occupies the entire dough. The common denominator between these two examples is growth and life. Each of those examples have a living, breathing component. We have the tree and we have the yeast in the leaven. So the kingdom of God is a living thing. And that's why Paul refers to it as life. In other words, the, a person without um, the kingdom, a person not walking in the tenets of the kingdom of God will be spiritually dead. It's important for us to be clear that Paul is referring to spiritual life in the scripture. So now that we've looked at what the kingdom of God is, it's important to look at the self. Our minds are by default, or they make decisions by default based on self, based on what we want. And um, John, 1 John 2, 16, defines the world or the self as the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Interestingly, that's the definition for desire. So the difference between the kingdom of God we've looked at, which wills the good, by the way, willing the good is the definition for love. The difference between lust and desire is that desire is predicated on satisfying that desire when you get the object of your desire. In other words, you have to get that thing before you're satisfied. 
But we all know that that's not true. It just leads to a spiral where you want more and more. So we can also define desire as deceitful, blind, and obsessive, which is exact difference between uh, the kingdom of God and, of course, the self. So now that we've looked at the self and we've looked at the kingdom of God, let's dig a little deep, uh, bit deeper into the kingdom of God by, first of all, looking at who God is. And before we move to that, let's look at Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. It reads, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not onto your understanding. In all ways, submit to him and he will straighten your path. Now, the first question that arises for a new Christian is, why should I? Why should you, um, first of all, trust in God? But also question two is that if you say that God is omnipresent, uh, why is it that we've defined, we've just defined the kingdom of God as the range of his effective will? So those are two things we want to answer here. And the, of course, Proverbs tells us that if you trust God, your path will be cleared. We understand that. So now we are going to look at why. But before we do that, we have to, first of all, explain why, some, why God chooses who to work with and who not to work with. That's based on the concept of free will. At the beginning of this sermon, I explained that we all have free will. That's one thing we share with God. But God's will is not predicated on anything, whereas our will is predicated on our environments and other things around us. For example, winter. You wear a winter coat because if you go outside during winter, you'll freeze to death. So you may want to walk outside without your coat. It's okay, you can do it, but if you do it, something will happen. That's not the case with God. So it makes sense that if we, if we rely on God, we have an additional component for the things we can't do. It's important at this juncture to also introduce the idea of intellect. Because at times we think that if we are believers, we are just robots who just do things that God tells us. That's not true. God gave us a free will and an intellect. That's why right now you're probably watching me over a tablet or a computer. The knowledge that put together these devices was imbued by God. There's a reason for that. There are things we have to do for ourselves. And for the things we have to do ourselves, for example, like the vaccines, God doesn't have to do that for us. So we rely on God to do the things we can't do. And that's the power we as Christians and believers in God bring to the table as opposed to a believer. So the question, the next question is that, uh, is the question of why. Let me address that. Why should I relinquish the authority of making decision to somebody else? One of the reasons would be that that person you're handing over authority to makes better decisions than you do. So how do we know? We see that in the scriptures 
in Exodus 3, verse 14, when God himself defines who he is to Moses, it's important that he, that verse comes, um, it's important that he explained it to Moses because Moses was coming from a background that had multiple deities. And we have to remember that at that time, the children of Israel, that were the children of Israel that were in Egypt at that time were born in Egypt. So they also saw these other gods. It made sense that if Moses went to the children of Israel and told them, hey, God sent me, the first question they would ask is that which one? Is it Set? Is it Ra? Is it Amun? And he would have to explain. But it's interesting how God answers, and I want us to focus on that because we have to, to ground our concepts in the scripture. That's the whole idea of spiritual transformation. So what does the scripture say about the character of God? And we find that in Exodus 3, verse 14. I like the King James Version. You can read any other version, but if you use a Bible commentary, you realize that they will be saying the same thing. The King James Version reads as, and God said to Moses, I am that I am. Some of your Bibles would be reading, I am who I am. Yes, that's true to some extent, because a table is what it is. A tomato is what it is. But I am that I am is different from I am who I am. I am that I am means that his existence is predicated on himself, not anything else, which is very different like we've seen when it comes to humans. We have so many issues that can, that can stop the things that we want. So that's a very good example of putting our trust in God. But that's not enough. Having power to do whatever you want is not enough. Ganges Khan was a powerful man, but he was brutal. So power is not everything. We need something more. If I am to trust in God wholeheartedly, I need something more than just power, being able to do what you want. Because the world has taught us that being powerful doesn't always mean being good. For that, we look at the character of God. What's so interesting about the next verse we are going to read is the answer that John gave when asked to tell his disciples about what he had learned from the time he spent with Christ. Before I read the verse, let me put it this way. If I ask any of us, what they will remember about Christ in the Bible. You'd probably list raising the dead. That's a big one. Uh, making the blind see. That's another one. Healing the sick is another one. But John didn't talk about any of those. So let's read First John 5 to 6. This is the message we heard from him and declare unto you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. 
If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live in truth. But if we walk in light, as he is the light, by the way, the he here is not referring to Christ, it's referring to God. And you'll see why in the next section. Read it. As he is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Folks, the three years Christ was on this earth, he preached one thing and one thing alone, and that was the kingdom of God. It's interesting that at the end of Christ's ministry, the disciples finally got it. When John was asked to summarize what he had learned, it all pointed to one thing and one thing alone, the purity of God. The idea behind the kingdom of God is to show the purity of God. It's about the character of God. Folks, this is the basis of our faith. We don't believe in faith because our grandmas taught us when we are young that we should fear God. We don't believe in faith because our pastors told us that we should believe in God, which is a good thing. We believe in God because we know he's pure and there's no strife in him. And it makes sense then, if you have two choices, the self and God. We all know we've made bad decisions at some point in time. That means we sometimes fail. If you have two options, you, on one hand, you have someone who never fails. On the other hand, you have another person who fails sometimes. We can all agree that we will end up choosing the person who doesn't fail every time. But more to that is that it's the purity. Meaning that if I trust God to make a decision, because there is no strife or hatred or envy in God, every decision he will be making for me will be the right choice. That's the basis of our faith. We trust God because, yes, he's powerful, but most importantly, because he's pure. And it's that purity, the ability to make decisions that are in our favor, in other words, decisions that are good for us, why we choose God or rely on God or the kingdom of God. Now notice, I said decisions that are good for us, not the decisions that we want. For those of us that have kids, know that at times you can deny your kids or the people you're responsible for something for their own good. Having said that, I don't mean that uh, when you pray and something doesn't happen, it's because it's not good for you. No, I'm not saying that. Because when I say that, it means that God's um, will is predicated on what I want. And that's what we want to get away from. If you say that God's will is predicated on nothing but himself, then you can't command God to do something for you. That's the whole idea. Because the moment you say, I command God to do X, then God, uh, God's will will be predicated on what you want. But if you wait for what God wants, that's what makes a difference 
between a believer and an unbeliever. We put our trust in God. Now, it doesn't mean that when we trust in God, we lose the ability of free will. We keep the free will, but we trust that whatever God chooses, whether we like it or not, will be the best for us. And we see this example clearly at the cross. Jesus Christ was distressed. How do we know? He says it. He says, if it was for me, I would walk away from this. But let your will be done. Christ understood the purity of God. He knew that whatever happened, whatever decision made, whatever decision God made would be the best outcome of that situation. And he trusted in him. And of course, we know about the resurrection because we are a result of that resurrection. We know the salvation. We are saved, finally. We are reconciled to God because of that sacrifice. So next we are going to look at um, what Christian spiritual transformation really means. Christian spiritual transformation means aligning our thoughts, our behaviors, our traits with those of the kingdom of God as opposed with the traits of the self, which we've defined also as the world. Now, to ground that in scripture, we'll look at 2 Peter 3, uh, verse 18, and it reads, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord, uh, the Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and in the day of eternity. Amen. Now, Peter refers to pursuing maturity and a deepening knowledge of the scripture of Jesus Christ as a way of sustaining or preventing you from going astray. This introduces a very important component. Anywhere in the scripture we see a reference to knowledge, it refers to the scripture. So the next question is then, what's the process of spiritual transformation? We've looked at why we need spiritual transformation. We've looked at the character of God. We've looked at why we should trust God and we've tackled faith. Spiritual transformation is discipleship. That's all it is. So anybody going through a spiritual transformation is anyone going through the process of discipleship. Now that's comforting to most of us as Christians because it means that we come at the table without any qualifications. You don't have to glow in the dark before you undergo a spiritual transformation. And by definition, a disciple is green. You're there to learn. So Christian spiritual transformation has, to do, has everything to do with discipleship. And of course, the discipleship has everything to do with acquiring knowledge through the scriptures. 
so we can also say that spiritual, uh, Christian spiritual transformation, uh, which ends up in renewing our mind, is an entry point for anybody who wants to experience a, uh, a Christian life. So that, that's very comforting. And remember, when you get, get onto the journey to spiritual transformation, you are naive. That's the whole idea. Looking at the disciples through the lens of spiritual transformation makes a lot of sense. When Peter denies Christ, when they wonder what the parables mean, they were in the process of learning. But as we've seen later on, when John testified about what he had learned, he had finally got it. After going through that process, he go to the other side and saw the light and saw the point of the kingdom of God, which is learning about the character of God. Now, to conclude our discussion today, we are going to read a number of uh, scriptures. Scriptures are important in spiritual transformation. We'll start with Colossians 3, verse 8 to 14. I'll just read a part of it, but I'll encourage you to read the entire chapter. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on a new self who is being renewed to the true knowledge according to the image of the one that created you. So Paul is continuing with the theme of pointing the, the idea or the, the whole concept behind spiritual transformation to understanding who God is. Brethren, that's the basis of our faith. Because if we understand the purity of God, if we understand who God is, it's very easy for us to trust in him. And that's the idea behind reading the scriptures prayerfully. So the next verse we are going to read is 2 Peter 1, 4 to 10. For by these he has granted us his precious magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is the world by lust. Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, in your knowledge, supply knowledge in your, excuse me, let me read that again. Okay, I'll read the verse once again. Second Peter 1, 4 to 10. For by this he has granted us his precious, magnificent pro, uh, promises, so that by them you may become partakers of divine nature, having escaped corruption that's in the world by lust. Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, knowledge in your knowledge, self-control in your self-control, perseverance in your perseverance, godliness 
and in your godliness, brotherly kindness in your brotherly kindness, and love. For these qualities are yours, and care increasingly. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we said whenever we see knowledge, we refer to the scripture. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. It's important to note here the debate between works and grace. I wanted to put that out there. So one of the struggles we have as Christians is to wonder whether if you do something, it's works or grace. Uh, that's a topic of another sermon, but I would encourage you to read this entire chapter. He throws more light on that concept. I wanted to put it out there so as you read, you meditate on that struggle or tension we have as Christians. The last uh, scripture we are going to read today is found in Mark 12, 28 to 31 one of my favorites. So this is um, a dialogue between the Pharisees and Christ. And it's a, a good conclusion to what we've just discussed. So one of the scribes came and heard them arguing. And recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? And then Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear ye, O Israel, the Lord God is one, and you shall love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this. When we started this sermon, we started on the premise that God's kingdom is based on willing the good. And we said willing the good is the definition of love. Folks, loving God and loving your neighbor are the end goal of a spiritual transformation. To recap, spiritual transformation is discipleship. And you come to Christ to go through a spiritual transformation without any qualification. In conclusion, I encourage you all to look through some of the resources that I used for this sermon. I used the New American Standard uh, for my scriptures. I used the MacArthur Study Bible for the Bible commentary, and I also used the body of work by Dr. Dallas Willard for insights on spiritual formation. May the Lord bless you all and keep you all as you continue on your journey of spiritual formation. Let's pray. Lord, as we leave this place, we pray for your spirit to continue revealing your goodness and mercy as we grow closer to you. We ask all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.